What does the Pope, a chef, and a hermaphroditic cat have in common? Episode 26 of the Booterverse. Hey, Booterites, welcome to the show. It's going to be an extra special good one. As our guest today, we have Dan Wu, culinary evangelist and season five contestant on TV's MasterChef. Of course, Judy Scheinbaum is going to answer all of your questions, and we have some Booter thoughts coming up for you, all on today's episode of the Booterverse. Today's episode of the Booterverse is brought to you by the Triptych. The Triptych. If you don't know what it is, you probably own a cell phone. And now for news in my orbit. First there were selfie sticks. Then came belfie sticks to help out all those who constantly asked if that selfie made their butt look big. And now ear fetishes can simply rejoice, say hello to the elfie stick. It may be the craziest thing you've ever heard of, but the makers of the special device to help you take stunning self-portraits of your ears say the orders are pouring in. The founder of the company, who denies she has a thing for ears, says she got the idea from looking at Instagram. There are all these pictures, drunken selfie attempts, or what have you, of the side of people's heads, and I thought nobody ever really gets a good picture of their ear. It's one of our most neglected and beautiful body parts, and ear selfies, she continues, are the perfect way to spontaneously capture the ear in all its glory. She furthermore suspects Van Gogh only cut off his ear to get a better look because he was trying to paint the ultimate proto-elfie. Sound a bit extreme? Save yourself the hassle and try an Elfie stick. Along with the usual Bluetooth capacity, an Elfie stick comes with a special mirror attachment to help you make sure you've cleared out all that unsightly wax before you Elfie yourself. Turning now to political news, are you ready for the Decider 2.0? Following their headline-grabbing snub of Fox News correspondents at a pre-State of the Union luncheon, the newly cocky Obama administration has announced it will become an arbiter of everything. In a brief surprise press conference, Joe Biden defended the move, saying that it was really easy-peasy. You just pick something and go for it. And it doesn't even matter if you know what you're talking about. Once we decided what was news and what wasn't, we thought, hey, we got this. Next, the Oval Office tackled dogs, saying that Portuguese water dogs and teacup poodles were the only real dogs, and that no other canine could henceforth be called a dog. As far as what they should be called, Biden had no opinion. I don't know. We just know they're not dogs. In the coming days, the administration plans to take on cheese, sweaters, and baby diapers. Rumors that they are slated to also tackle buddy comedies, chairs, and quinoa could not be substantiated. Other topics will, of course, be debated and ruled on. And an official list of rulings and what shall no longer be considered what it once was can be found at whitehouse.gov backslash who cares what you think anyway. Now in feline gender news, move over grumpy cat, now there's Mittens the sad hermaphrodite. Mittens, who was thrust onto the world stage when his slash her owner opened up a Kickstarter to raise funds for the care of her gender-bending feline, is reported to be depressed ahead of a scheduled gender assignment operation. Speaking through a pet psychic, Mittens says, my owner was shocked to learn I was a he-she? How do you think I felt? 
and now the vet wants to make me a guy without asking my opinion? I've always had a thing for tomcats, and I am definitely not gay. I am all woman. I just can't be doomed against my will to a life of yowling and spraying. Most days I feel like I simply can't go on. It is indeed one thing to just be spayed or neutered, and Mittens can't be faulted for feeling like she's gotten the worst of both worlds. Her owner says the cat just lies there looking sad and disdainful. If you're wondering how this is different from general feline demeanor, Mitten's owner says the cat is definitely not himself. Or herself. It does get a bit confusing. When asked if Mittens would get a new name to go with the new hardware, the cat's owner said no. Mittens works either way. And by now, everyone is simply used to it. Except, of course, Mittens, who said only, I wish they'd just call me Cheryl. In the Vatican Sea, Pope Francis is warning his cardinals not to party too hard when they are formally sworn in at a Vatican ceremony next month. In a letter written to the 20 new princes of the church, Francis warned the cardinals to avoid the type of drunken booze-ups that stun worse than grappa on an empty stomach. The custom is for the incoming pledge class of cardinals to be lavishly feted by parishioners following the ceremony where they receive their red hats. Off the record, of course, the Pope said that after last year's investitures, St. Peter's looked like Animal House, and that this year he simply wouldn't tolerate any more of that frat boy behavior. It took housekeeping a week to get the smell of vomit out of the baptismal font, and the dry cleaning bill for the vestments alone ran to the equivalent of nearly $10,000. And that, he said, is simply unacceptable. So no partying like it's $13.99, boys, because Il Papa is a real party poper. And that's been it for News in My Orbit. Buddha. Today's episode of the Buddhaverse is brought to you by Thermostats. Thermostats, we still don't know what you mean when you tell us to turn the temperature up. And now it's time for the woman who will answer all of your questions, the last lung, with Judy. Judy Scheinbaum, you're on the air. Oh, Emery, it's always a pleasure to be here. Our first question is from Angela in Decatur, Georgia. She says, do you have any old New Kids on the Block albums? I can't find anyone else who has them, and I simply don't have the internets. I can't find them anywhere. Oh, sweetheart, do I have a treat for you. I will call you after the show because this lady has a whole storage room full of New Kids on the Block paraphernalia. They are going on tour this summer, and I couldn't be more excited. I'm so... Oh, I can't... Oh, listen, I'm going to put on my favorite Moo Moo. I'm going to take my daughter Eliza, and we are going to have a wonderful night. So, sweetheart, we got some New Kids on the Block stuff coming your way. Mwah. Our next question is from Sal in Bakersfield, California. Ooh, Bakersfield, I love that crystal palace. Sal says, I accidentally shaved off one of my eyebrows. What should I do? Oh, sweetheart, you are in a pickle. I remember one time I was talking to Matt Smith of the Doctor Who fame, and I said, Matthew, what is happening with your eyebrows? They look like they're non-existent. Are you really an alien from another planet? He just laughed and laughed. Of course he did. Seriously, with eyebrows like that, what are you going to do? But sweetheart, if you have shaved off one of your eyebrows, you've got one of two choices. Get one of those little woolly worms to put on your face and hopefully it won't crawl off. Or get some high gloss mascara and hopefully RuPaul's drag show is listening. Maybe they can help. Next. Ooh, our next question is from Lucy in Pontiac, Michigan. She says, what do you do to beat the winter blues? Well, sweetheart, I am actually a big fan of B.B. King. A lot of people don't know that. So what I do to chase away the blues... I listen to the blues. Hearing him play Lucille will make you feel better too. So that's my advice, sweetheart. Chase away the blues with some blues. Mwah. 
Oh my goodness, it's already our final question. I can't believe it. This one is from Sarah in Pierre, South Dakota. She says, how long is too long to leave up your Christmas decorations? Sweetheart, I do what the Goyam do. 12 days and it's done. Of course, I don't put up a tree because I don't believe in it. But what I do do is I put up a little holly, you know, a little mistletoe for the gentleman callers. Mm-hmm. And that's what I do. After 12 days, bam, it's done. Judy is back out of holiday mode. And that's what you should do too. When those 12 lords start a-leaping, that's when it's time to call it quits. And that's been it for The Last Lung with Judy. I love you all. We'll be right back, right after this. Today's episode of the Booterverse is brought to you by Snowballs. Snowballs. Well, at least you have a pair. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Booterverse. I am sitting here with Dan Wu, Season 5 contestant on MasterChef. Dan, it's great to have you on the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Dan, you are a chef. What does that mean? Uh, People pay money to feed them food, Mm. essentially. Do people pay you to feed them? Yeah, that's how that's I, how it goes. I love that. Do you have to wear a floppy hat? No, thankfully no. It doesn't go on my gigantic head and it doesn't go with my hair. So See, I always thought the sort of benefit of being a chef was that you got to wear the floppy hat. The benefit of being a chef is you don't have to wear the floppy hat. Thankfully, we're a little further away from the uh the more French traditions of wearing uh I think it's called a toque. A T-O-Q-U-E, yes. Not like so, a T-O-K or T-O-U-K. No, no. You know how they like their Qs, the French. They do, and like um, just randomly put an E somewhere. Yeah, I was reading today actually about the chef coat and how a lot of chefs are actually uh, not into it. And I can sort of see why. They're kind of bulky, they look very uniformy, and they're hot. They're always made of overly thick material, and you're working one of the hottest professions outside of smelting. Why are you degrading Rosie O'Donnell's wardrobe right now? Uh, I didn't did not expect to be talking about Rosie O'Donnell oh, today. Rosie. She loves her bulky garments and <laughs> and coats that just do not flatter her at all. Yeah, and I don't uh for the most part I don't think chef coats flatter either. You can get a reasonably fitted one, but they still I don't know, I sometimes feel like a doorman or like a yacht captain. You know Ooh. what I mean? It's just and, and not away. Not in a good way, honestly. Not in a good way. So, but you know, like t-shirt and apron, that works for me too. But there is a functionality to the chef coat, is there not? There mm, I don't know. Um you have little pockets in your uh on your arm that you can put pens in, mm. which I mean, you can put pens in your pocket. Um for the most part and then it's just like buttons all the way up to the top and you have sleeves you can roll up like any other shirt. So I'm going to say no. You're just saying, let's go get a Teflon-coated you know, shirt from Walmart, and let's rock and roll in the kitchen. Yeah, that'll work. Something, uh, something flame-retardant, something that'll keep me cool in the kitchen and not light my arm on fire. That'll pretty much do it. Have you thought about maybe starting your own line of chef coats, perhaps with sort of gills or vents in the back to help it breathe? Uh, no, I have not. Fashion uh, is not my forte. I beg to differ because I am sitting here looking at you right now and you have an amazing shirt on. It's sort of an homage to sort of punk western wear sort of. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a Dio de los Mortos uh, shirt. It's a black shirt with uh, cuffs. And uh, I don't even know what you call this down the middle where the buttons run. It's like this strip of uh, really great graphic fabric with all the uh, 
the candy skulls on it. So it's one of my favorite shirts. I wore especially for you. So, so. I, I appreciate that, yeah. and I'm so glad you did. I'm in a very... I guess we're talking fashion right now. I'm in a very subdued mm-hmm. black. I'm not even wearing a bow tie right now. Who are you wearing? Mm, that's a great question. And believe it or not, my jeans are Levi's. America. I support America. <laughs> at least their jeans. And uh, I have a lovely uh, striped shirt from, I don't know, somewhere. Somewhere good. Somewhere cool. I retract the question. Mm, you don't have to. Yeah. I answered. All right. Now, um, Dan, let's talk about MasterChef for a second. Yes. Who is the host uh, that would be uh, the inimitable Gordon Ramsay. But I say inimitable, and I realize lots of people imitate him. So, But isn't that actually probably a qualification of being inimitable, that people would want to be like you? Perhaps. What was the hardest thing for you to hear on the show? Um, episode two, we had to make meatloaf. I've never made meatloaf. Uh... And it's and I don't eat meatloaf, so I literally wasn't entirely sure like what goes in it and how to make it taste good. Can I just say I love meatloaf? Okay. Uh, yeah. So we had this sort of challenge, and they had kind of set me up from episode one as a contender. Uh, so episode two now, I'm making this meatloaf. I bring it up there. I think it tastes okay. It's kind of all over the place. I'm unsure about it. I don't think I'm going to win anything with it. He tastes it. He he looks inscrutable, and he does his thing where he does the dramatic pause. And you think it's editing, and it is, but it's also live because it's live to us because they're trying to get genuine reactions from us, the contestants. So he's, this is absolutely. And then it's like a, a it felt like a, a two-minute pause. It probably was like two seconds, but if, for television, sure. it felt really long. And then he goes, disgusting. (laughs) And I honestly didn't, when he said, this is absolutely, I had enough time to process in my mind. And I'm thinking, well, it's not brilliant. It's not great. It's not amazing. So I was even, I was processing through like, I don't think it's that good. I hadn't even gotten to the possibility of it being complete crap yet. And then he says, disgusting. I'm like, oh, alrighty then. So that wasn't great. No, I, is it the feeling of being judged? Is it the feeling that, you know, cooking is, you know, apparently your thing and sure. someone's telling you cooking, you know, the thing you've just prepared, the thing you've just cooked is quote unquote disgusting? Well, it's interesting too because in normal life, uh, unless you're a, a restaurateur, you know, who has critics writing about them, people don't judge your food like that in that way you know what I mean and for me when I cook for friends and family or even for gigs I'm my own worst critic somebody else is raving about a dish and I'd be like yeah it could have been you know cooked another 30 minutes or it could have been a little more heavily seasoned or it could have been this and that so whereas here I felt like I have no grasp of my own assessment of my work like I thought it was okay and he says it's disgusting now in the moment We've established that I'm a cynical person. But in that moment of where you're getting chewed out by this person who, I mean, let me set it up for you also that we're um, disconnected from all of our electronic devices and communication with our families. We get one phone call a week, like prison, um, monitored phone call a week, okay, for 10 minutes uh, while one of our handlers is in the room. And so this is our entire life. That we're disconnected from anything else. Whatever other priorities we have in our normal life doesn't exist. 
So we're in this situation where every day we go on set, this is life and death. And when Gordon says your food is disgusting, you might be going home tonight or tomorrow morning. Um, so it's that level of like, I can no longer assess my food. I don't even know what's happening anymore. I think I made an okay dish. He says it's completely disgusting. I'm just kind of in shock and thrown for a loop. Give myself half a day now. I was on the bottom for that challenge. I did not go home. Um, but I gave myself a little bit of time to reflect. And I just had to sort of kind of throw up my hands a little bit in terms of, okay, I have no control in this situation whatsoever. They're going to do what they're going to do. I'm going to cook the best food I can cook. I'm going to give them the best sound bites I can give them on interview. That's all I can do. If it's not, I don't believe in destiny or fate or any of that stuff. But in this kind of situation, I felt like the Greeks of old, like sitting in front of the gods that are literally determining your fate. And as a person of Greek origin, I can understand how someone would feel sitting in front of me yeah. or behind me or yeah. around, you know, just by me. Yes, I gotcha. Yeah. Mm. So here you are thinking, I did okay. You had never cooked meatloaf before, yeah. which is, you know, when you've never cooked something, you're thinking in your mind, hey, I've never cooked this before. I'm sure it'll be at least okay. And he says, disgusting. I mean, yep. no one's ever said that to me about anything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, my producer did one time, but we don't need to talk yeah, about that. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a hard thing to hear. Um, the other realization I had about it too, um, because I I felt like there were other contestants who got a little bit more cynical than me, or as cynical as me, but they acted like it. See, you and, don't act like it. You don't act like a cynic. You don't yeah. mope around. You don't seem hard hearted or well. Okay, because. In a situation like that where you have no control and you realize, okay, this is television. Uh, I walked in thinking this is a cooking competition. It's a television show with a cooking component. Uh, you make that realization, but if you start acting like, okay, this is all bullshit and this is all for show and none of this is real and I'm not saying these things, but if you're believing these things suddenly, you're going to act like that. You're going to act like you don't care. You're going to act like you don't want to be there. The producers will see it. The judges will see it. And next thing you know, you're out the door. Because you don't want to be here. You're acting that way. You're not good for television anymore. Well, and Bye. I don't think people realize how truly transparent they are to other people, especially on TV. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, people might even want to hide their emotions, but it's very difficult to do. Yeah. And they and if you're going to be on a TV show, a reality TV show, and hide your emotions, you're not going to get any airtime. That's all there is to it. And by no airtime, you're probably not going to last very long. Indeed. Exactly right. Exactly right. And and so you, you kind of get a sense of that. It was a very interesting, I will say I will likely never do anything remotely like that, experience anything like that ever again, because, you know, it, it's not like real life at all. You're, you feel like you can kind of know how to play the game a little bit, but you don't. Every time I made a guess as to what was going to happen next, I was wrong. And that was a weird thing just to be wrong all the time. Do you think it was because you were so close to it? Um, no, because I'm as I'm as close as anybody will be to that kind of show without being an actual producer, without being in their control room watching all the cameras and saying, you know, let's go to Dan because he just he's burning his food. Let's go interview him right now. 
and then see if he's on his way down or these two are arguing let's move all the cameras over there you could see all this sort of action happening the 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 eye in the sky omniscient nature of it was just it was a little frightening have you thought about going on any other kinds of reality tv shows i've thought about it um i just don't want to become that guy there are those people though right basically everybody on mtv yeah yeah Uh, Because Um, they're on real world, then they're on road rules, then they're on real world road rules challenge. Yeah. It's very confusing. Yeah. I I asked myself, because I thought about it a little bit, and I asked myself, um, because once you're sort of in, you start knowing some producers, and you have something on your resume now. So in theory, you can sort of move on to another thing, or you have a leg up trying out for something else. I think you would be great on So You Think You Can Dance. I'd well, like to see that. That's at a least. really answerable question, though. Do you want to know what I can answer it right now for all your listeners? Absolutely. No. But Dan, I want to see you do the cha-cha. I, I reject the premise of the question because you just said, "So you think you can dance?" And I said, "Well, no, I didn't say that." You didn't say that you think you can dance, or you didn't say that you don't think you can't dance. Um, I'm gonna have to speak to my lawyers. Hmm. Indeed. Okay, but the answer is no. Whatever the question is, the answer is no, yes. Okay. Yeah. What is your favorite instrument? What is your favorite instrument to cook with? Let me let me do that. Since you're not going to dance for us, what is your favorite instrument to cook with? Probably a fretless bass. A fretless bass. Yeah, it's got a nice tone to it mm. and a deep sort of rich... You could probably do a good good braise. Oh, excellent. You know, low and slow is what the one I'm talking about. That's your that's your jam, as it were. I think so, yeah. Excellent, excellent. Do you have any favorite cooking utensils Oh, that um, you like to use in the kitchen? Uh-huh. Um, a good chef knife, of course, obviously. Um, one quick pro tip uh, for, for um, amateurs, amateur cooks, which is a lot of us. Um, when I go to people's houses and cook, I have to bring my own knife because invariably people's knives in their houses are dull as hell. Like I will test them. I will pull a knife out of their board and I will run it along my hand like a saw. Go and I will demonstrate to them. Yeah, see? You're yeah. like, if it's not breaking my skin, it's not good. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, exactly. So what I will say is go get yourself a decent knife, something that costs more than, say, $30. Uh, and then get a steel, which is those little rods, right? And just before you use it every single time, just give it a good 20, 30. Sh- 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 sh. That's it. That's all you got to do. If you maintain it every single day that you use it, you will never have a dull knife. Not never, but, you know, it'll last you a while. Hmm. But Do you find that size matters? Hmm. I'm going to assume you're talking about knives. You can assume whatever you'd like. Okay. Uh. No, I, I would say go uh, 8 to 10 inches. Anything smaller, you probably shouldn't show your face in the kitchen. Mm. Um, but I, What does length do for, for a chef? Well, I saw a, a terrific graphic the other day that had a, a profile of a knife, and it said the, the back third of it towards the handle is what you cut with. The front two-thirds are for intimidation. So mainly intimidation. Indeed. Now, have you, as a chef, have you ever had other individuals in the kitchen working for you or under you? Sure. Mm-hmm. 
How is that situation? Do you feel like you have to intimidate them by the size of your knife? No. Okay. Not at all. Um, I usually, in general, I'm kind of a, you know, I do mainly um, private events and sort of um, private cooking for people's parties and, and people's homes. So generally, it's just me. Uh, when I have something working for me, um, sometimes the prep work I don't mind because I can do 90% of it. So that last 10%, I don't need somebody who's necessarily experienced. I just want somebody who can take direction. And that's it. And I'm going to show you once, and and you start doing it. I'm going to watch you, and if you're incorrect, I'll correct you again. And the second time you're incorrect, then I'll probably just do it myself. You there know, you so go. I try to be pretty reasonable about it. I'm not going to be uh, super-duper bossy. Do you think we've gone too far with these cooking shows and cooking competitions? <sighs> Depends on what you mean by too far. Let me specify. Do you think that there are so many now they've started losing their potency? Yeah. Yeah, probably. Um, I mean, because you can see a cooking show or a cooking competition, you know, I like the Barefoot Contessa just like anybody else, but, you know, she's not competing against sure. Martha Stewart. Now, I would like to see that, though. Ooh. I want to see uh, Martha Stewart, Paula Dean like, throw down. Yes. Let's, right? Let's bring back Celebrity Deathmatch. Right. I wonder if we haven't made the chef such a celebrity in today's world that something like what happened to Paula Dean is even possible. I mean, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, you, you think about Wolfgang Puck, maybe. Sure. That was the first chef I remember yeah. as having a, a really large following or, yeah. you know, people knew who he was. Mm -hmm. And then it just seemed like all of a sudden chefs were exploding yeah. everywhere. Yeah. It's become a thing uh, definitely like, you know, you, as you say, a couple of decades ago, chefs are just these grungy, chain-smoking, tattooed, foul-mouthed people yelling at their sous chefs in uh, kitchens making not very great money. Uh, and by and large, that's still true. But you have, yeah, with Wolfgang Puck and then Emeril Lagasse and then Rachel Ray and just everybody. Uh, and, and now, you know, you look at somebody like Guy Fieri, like he was essentially a manufactured uh, celebrity because he went on what it was it uh, Food Network's uh, next Food Network star right which is like the equivalent of like American Idol for for chefs um, but just think of all the good things he's done for TGI Fridays Dan guy, look he, at he's made TGI Fridays look better yeah yeah how is that best. possible with the way he looks yeah it's ugh, yeah he's yeah have you ever thought about bleaching your goatee Nope, and I will never think about it again. Good. I support that decision. Yeah. Um, it's been funny. Occasionally, I think about, like, shaving off my little... And I used to call it a Fu Manchu. It's not technically a Fu Manchu because that's just the mustache part, apparently. Right, so because... Can, and then the, and the it, ends... Would... And it should be super long. I, I feel like the technical definition is the mustache should extend past your chin, which mine does not at all. So mine's more of, like, a... It's an unconnected goatee just because there's, I can't grow any more than what I got. But it looks very nice. I feel like I'm yeah. complimenting you, and I, I, I would compliment any guest, but good. my compliments uh, are always sincere. Uh, thank you. Um, Except when they're not. Yeah, all right. Um, hmm. I don't know your tone of voice well enough to detect it yet, so mm. I'll, I'll figure it out. I'm an enigma um, wrapped in a riddle, perhaps wrapped in a burrito. Uh, perhaps wrapped in bacon and then deep fried. Mm. That's yeah. me. Yep, yeah. that's me. Um, 
But no, I do. It is very handsome. Yeah. So I was every time I think about shit, especially in this past year when the show was on and leading up to the show and the aftermath of the show. Every time I thought about like shaving it off or cutting my hair or changing my look, and I was like, I can't do it. Like it's a part of my thing, and that's a weird thing to think about, right? You talked about being on the show and feeling a little bit like it was in prison. You know, you get one phone call, et cetera, et cetera. Do you feel now a little imprisoned by what one would call celebrity? Oh no, not at all. Uh-uh. Um, I the honestly the celebrity is you know when the show was going on, I would be in Kroger and people would be like Dan Wu and or like I watched you on the show and stuff and all of that was great. Um, you know, it's not like paparazzi are like hiding in bushes in front of my house. But if they're hiding, how do you know? Well, they're terrible paparazzi because they've never gotten a picture of me. Um, so they're they're not great at what they do. You know what? My paparazzi are horrible too. Yeah, it's probably the same guy, just a sleeping, you know, at ten a.m. with a bottle of Jim Bean by his head. Um, Isn't that the dream though for paparazzi? Isn't yeah. that the dream? Perhaps it is. Um, so no, I wouldn't. Uh, you know, I don't. I don't honestly feel like a celebrity. The one of the things that happens though is when I go to places and I and I meet people, I feel really bad because it's often people I've met already, and I want to say like nice to meet you, but I just say like nice to see you because they whether they've met me or not, they know me, and I don't know them. Like that's a little weird. Dan, will you forget me? Hmm? Forget who? Will you forget me? Who are you even talking about? Me. I don't even... Dan, it's already happened. You're in the room with me. You've already forgotten. Well, this has been great. Thanks. Mm. (laughs) You know, it's funny because we always let our guests have an opportunity to do two things. One, you can ask me a question... And then two, we give you the opportunity to say whatever you want. So do you have a question for me? Hmm. It could be anything. What is one thing that you will not eat? Like if somebody offered you $1,000 to eat something that you would not eat. And something that's food, you know, edible. Believe it or don't, I have a very open and wide palate um i used to hate brussels sprouts i eat brussels sprouts now all the time good i love them i'm a champion of brussels sprouts by the way see um i think it would have to be probably something like an eyeball or something like that i mean like i i really can't think of a food that i wouldn't eat um that i just find to be disgusting Hmm. you know i i so, you, so you're saying you would try anything that's an actual food? Yes. Okay. How about a partially fertilized baby chicken in an egg? It's hard-boiled, but when you bite into it, there's a little bitty chicken in it with bones and little feathers and eyeballs. I probably would not eat that, no. Uh-huh. I mean, you, you have, there you go. I would, you know what? No, I would try it. You would try it? Okay. I would try it. Okay. Do I have to debone it somehow? You don't. You just eat the whole thing. Then I would try it. Yeah. If that's, if that's as, to me, it's a question of utility. If it's literally just putting it in my mouth and chewing. Yeah. I would do it. Okay. Sure. That's, that's the one food that I can think of that I'm hesitant. I'm not saying no on it. 
Uh, it's a thing called balut, and it's a Filipino street food. Oh. Yeah, so that's a that's a real thing. I've known about it. I've known people who have had it. I've never encountered it. If I do encounter it, I will try it. I want you to let me know. I want you to tweet at me and say, yeah. Emery, we, I'm doing this right now. Yeah. Um, if you're if you're close to where I am, maybe I might yeah, come to you come on and we and could we could try this together. Yeah. yeah. That's a great question, Dan. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Um, but anything you would like to say to the to the audience, to the listeners? Um, you know, I'll, I'll say this much because people have sometimes asked me, like, should I try out for this kind of show and or this sort of thing? It's like there's there's nothing you shouldn't try, just period. You know what I mean? It may sound crazy or undoable or something that you can't imagine yourself doing. Like you never know. You go into this sort of stuff, and you know, with I don't want to get all ho- you know hokey here, but like you put your good intentions out there into the world, and stuff happens. You know, that's not hokey at all. I think you just did what you did, and bam, yeah, yeah. there you are. Yeah, and had you not done that, you would have never had the opportunity that you did. Yeah, and it's one of those things. It was. It's a funny thing because it just, it came along at the right time. I've known about Master Chef for a couple of years, and never occurred to me to try out for it you know what I mean Uh, and it was more like I tried out for it and then as the process was going and it was looking more likely that I was going to get in I was like oh shit I need to like up my chops I need to go and learn from some chefs and and accumulate some skills so if I make it on the show I don't make an ass out of myself Uh, that whole episode with the meatloaf was also really stressful because that was the second episode I knew it was the second episode and I'm like I did not make it all the way here to be going home this early I was pissed at myself so but there you stood and you stayed all the way to what dish sir um I lasted eight episodes I was 14th I guess out of 22 people uh and the dish that took me down was red velvet cake red velvet cake have you ever made red velvet cake since uh no do you have a picture of it and just throw darts at red velvet cake i have a friend nick who works at a bakery who knows his cake and knows his baked goods he suggested that we make a red velvet cake together uh and that we mix into the icing uh i can't remember what it's called now do you know the stuff like if you get like at a Chinese American restaurant, like a poo poo platter or like uh, the little sterno, sterno. Ah, okay. The little weird gooey gel things that right. are flammable. We mix that into the icing and then we fill it with C4, or probably not C4, but you know, fireworks, let's say. Uh, I like where your head's at. Right, right. right. Um, and then we, uh, we blow it up and put it in a parking lot and blow the crap out of it. YouTube sensation. So, yeah. It's, you could call it like death by velvet. Revenge. It's a revenge cake. Ah, it's a it's a revenge velvet cake. So uh, I don't feel that badly about you know. Occasionally, my friends will randomly send me a picture of red velvet cake just to fuck with me. Um, but you know, the PTSD is is mostly gone. That's so good. I mean, because that stuff lasts. It does. Uh, do we need to put a trigger warning on any bakery? You know, uh, red velvet cake may cause flashbacks. No, uh, generally not. It's it's on. Uh, the other day, somebody mentioned meatloaf, and I was just like, ugh. But the good thing is, here's what I'm happy about. I didn't do really badly on a dish I liked. That would be more traumatic. If I had somehow fucked up a risotto, 
something I like to cook and like to eat, that would be traumatic. Then, then I would be like seeing risotto on the menus all the time, and be like, oh god, mm. and bringing back med. You know, it's like meatloaf. I don't ever eat red velvet cake. I don't ever eat. I don't ever need to cook either of those things. So it's fine. So there you have it. Yeah. If someone was starting out cooking, where would you tell them to start? In this, <clears throat> what would you? What dish might you suggest that they try if they're just starting off? Are you talking about a professional or an amateur? I'm talking about an amateur. If somebody wanted to maybe up their cooking game at home, yeah, what might be a good dish for them to to try? Um, sautéed mushrooms. Some it's not to me. It's not even a dish. It's uh, it's a technique. It's a couple of techniques, and a lot of people tell me uh, they don't like mushrooms, and it's often because they say it's watery and it's kind of mushy and it just doesn't have great taste to it, and I tell them you've been having it or cooking it wrong your whole life because they shouldn't taste that way. And if you cut them the right thickness and you put the right amount of oil in the pan, you let the pan get hot enough, you sear them and leave them alone. A lot of times when people saute stuff, they put stuff in a pan, they immediately start shaking and, and, and doing stuff with it. Leave it alone for like 90 seconds. Let it sear, let it smoke a little bit, and then you flip it and all the pieces of the mushroom got that nice caramelization on it. I mean. The chemistry is wonderful there. You know, all the sugars come up to the surface of the food, a little bit of salt and pepper, toss it a couple times, boom, you're done. And that's the kind of thing through simple technique that can change somebody's mind about a particular food. And then once you've got that down, you can put that on salad, you can put that on rice, you can put that on noodles. You know what I mean? Those are the kind of skills I really want to teach more than like a full-blown dish. I want to teach techniques like that, how to caramelize onions, how to whip cream, how to reduce balsamic vinegar, stuff like that. So those are the small tips, the small techniques yes. that could really change someone's whole yeah. whole outlook on cooking. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Dan Wu, you have just changed my whole culinary life. Brilliant. That's been another episode of The Buddhaverse. We'll be right back right after this. Today's episode of the Buddhaverse is brought to you by Ramen Noodles. Ramen Noodles, giving college students the impression that adding boiling water to exams will help raise their score. Buddha. And now for Buddha thoughts. If you're anything like the adage, I know you buy your tawdry magazines just for the articles. Well, the Buddha buys his albums for the liner notes. There's a specifically risque picture on the front of a certain Herb Albert album and I want you to know that I bought that album simply for the liner notes. Sure, there's a woman arrayed in whipped cream, but that just goes to show that an attractive woman can sell just about anything. Not only can she ring your bell, but she can also blow your horn. And Herb Alpert is the only person who really understood this and cashed in. So why aren't more brass instrumentations smattering the front of their albums with scantily clad women? Well, I don't know. But if anyone from the brass community is listening, just think of what you could do with all those brass horn mutes. And that's been it for this week's Booter Thought. Booter! Here at the Booterverse, we'd like to send a special thanks to culinary evangelist Dan Wu. We'd also like to thank Courtney and Sonny for helping to produce the show, and of course a special thanks to Quadrants for composing our theme song. We'd like to thank you, the listeners, for tuning in. If you haven't had enough of me here, we're also everywhere on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under the handle The Booter. We'd also like to hear what you think about the show. If you go to our website, www.thebooter.com, there's a space for comments, and we'd love to hear your feedback. 
And of course, we're also on Pinterest, because, you know, men should be on Pinterest? I know interstellar travel is a bit difficult, but the Booterverse is only a click away. 